Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I've got a challenge from my friends today. Which friends? Well, my friends from home. Okay. And they've asked me to get two certain words into the podcast today. Are those uh, curse words? No, it's not curse words. Okay. The words are... And I've got to figure out a way of getting them in today. And hopefully I will. Because I think if I don't, there's a price to be paid. But are you going to, I don't know, get something out of this? Like money-wise? I don't know. They didn't maybe. quite. I don't know if they were that end of the bargain wasn't quite, or at what least are, they maybe they have performed some sort of. What about beer wise or scotch wise? Well, there is a stag party coming up soon. Okay. So I feel like if I lose, then potentially there could be some repercussions on that stag party. I'm a bit worried because <laughs> it's not the easiest two words to get in there. If it, I don't know about you, but I feel like like Ian is going to a stag party every single week. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Does it seem that way? <laughs> yeah, it does. I don't go to that many. I'm not that popular. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, enough of that. Joining me, Ian McCord, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Andre Gonzalez. Hi. The email, should you wish to get in touch, is podcast at onefootball.com. You can send your love, abuse, questions, etc. all to there. Or you can hop onto iTunes, give the pod a rating and leave a comment to let us know how you think we are doing. Now, Monday afternoon saw the much-expected sacking of Ronald Koeman from Everton. And that is where we're going to start today. Joining us to talk about that is Richard Buxton. Uh, I guess, Richard, the opening question is, where did it all go wrong for Koeman? Well, it went wrong in a couple of areas, I think. I think the first one was that Ronald Koeman was not really your archetypal Everton manager. Um, obviously, fans have this idea of a manager who comes in and he speaks highly of the club and, and you know, talks in the first person about it. Um, but Koeman never did that. He didn't have the romanticism of Roberto Martinez or uh, talk ambitiously like David Moyes did when he came in. It was always um, a third person term. It was always Everton this and Everton that. It was never we or us. Um, I think a lot of things went wrong in the summer. Um, they, they were expected to push on. They invested heavily. I think a lot of us, myself included, thought that it was going to be the new dawn for Everton. Um, but then they kind of did what typical lottery winners do. They make a smart investment, or quite a few smart investments in their case, and then they make some really needless, expensive purchases that they don't really have any use for. Um, notably, the guilty Sigurdsson and Wayne Rooney deals. And I think Koeman tried to shoehorn them in uh, to the team and he struggled with that and he also didn't really have a handle on what style he should be playing what personality he should be playing he made nine half-time subs um, in his opening 15 games this season in all competitions so that kind of pointed to a manager who lost his way a little bit I mean Koeman was the one who got fired but is he the only one to blame for, for this kind of great imbalance within the club? I wouldn't say he's the only culprit and I think it was quite telling that when Koeman um, put a farewell message out on social media on Monday he thanked everybody apart from Steve Walsh Everton's director of football so that hints at a bit of disparity there and there was rumblings uh, in January just gone where um, Koeman was talking and there seemed to be signs of a rift and it was downplayed by the club and downplayed by people on on the ground but I think the fact that Koeman omitted Walsh from that was quite telling because he obviously feels that Everton should have Brought in a striker, they went after the Olivier's route, they put all the eggs in that basket. Um, 
But I think there's been questions about Walsh's uh, recruitment strategy anyway, because there was clearly evidence of him in Italy in, I think it was June, um, talking to various clubs. He was talking to Milan, he was talking to Napoli, and nothing really materialised from it, either going in or, or, or going out. So I think Steve Walsh is probably on a bit of scrutiny uh, himself. But his job is safe for now? Yeah, I think as director of football, I don't think they, they can really fire him. I think that would kind of point to a club that is is all at sea. I don't think Bolsh is under any immediate scrutiny, but I think whoever comes in as Cumin's permanent successor is probably going to have, if they do have similar issues, then I think that will have Bolsh on borrowed time because you've got to remember this was a guy who um, was credited with, with bringing the likes of Riyad Mahrez, N'Golo um, Kante, and, and those type of players who helped Leicester City win the title, and he was obviously part of Ranieri's back staff, uh, backroom staff. But it's not really been replicated since the, I'd say, probably the Michael Keane, Sander Ramirez signings. I think York have ever since business since then. Rooney, Sigurdsson, Kuka Martina, they weren't really signings that were going to drive Everton on. They were probably luxury slash um, cover signings. And I think the fact that they didn't get a striker again, I think that is where Walsh probably has to carry the can a bit more than Koeman. Was that, the, was that their biggest mistake in the transfer market during the summer? The lack of replacement for Lukaku? I don't think it was just the lack of replacement because replacing a, a 25-30 goal season strike was difficult. Um, but there was this belief that the total team would, would chip in. But I think the problem was that Koeman was a bit blindsided by the signings they made. I think Rooney uh, coming back wasn't really all by his own hand. Yes, Koeman and Steve Walsh had both publicly entertained it. Um, but the wheels were in motion for quite a few years beforehand with Bell Kenwright bringing him back for um, Duncan Ferguson testimony to sort of mend the bridges that were burned in 2004 when he left. So Rooney strikes me as sort of one that more than just a manager and the director of football has to be responsible for. Um, Guilfi Sigurdsson, another one, hasn't really taken off. And, and that's because Schumann had to feel like he had to shoehorn them all in. So he had to play Rooney, Sigurdsson and Davy Klassen, the former Irish captain, who was possibly the, the, the better of the two and better suited to where Everton were, were going or were aiming for at least. So what next then for Koeman and what next for Everton? It's interesting to see where Koeman goes from here because I think even, I mean, the reputation he garnered as a player in Barcelona was quite, means there's a lot of attention on him, but even the Catalan press um, are, are kind of not falling for it anymore. I think you remember he was tipped to be Luis Enrique's successor uh, alongside Valverde in Sao Paulo last, last year, but um, sorry, this year. Um, but it never really came up and he was never really talked of as a, as a genuine Barcelona managerial candidate, even though he probably sees himself as one someday. But his record across Europe doesn't really stand up. So, Koeman, I don't know where he will go. I think possibly back to La Liga or maybe for another stint in the Eredivisie. Um, Everton are facing an interesting challenge now because this is probably the biggest test of the, the new ownership of Farhad Mashiri. He, he's got the first big appointments wrong in Koeman. Um for what for various reasons that we've outlined. Who they bring in could be interesting. At the moment, they've brought in David Unsworth, who was the uh, developmental coach, and he's a former player. So he's said the right things, and he wants the job permanently. So I think he'll be given till the international break to prove he can he can fix a club that is, is a bit listless at the moment in terms of where it wants to go. I mean, there's a lot of talk of Dyke. It just seems, it seems weird that he would move from the stable uh, club and environment that he's built up at Burnley to Everton but I, I guess it would be a step up for him it would yeah and I think the, the talk of Sean Dice coming to Everton has kind of been intensifying since they won at Goodison uh, a few weeks ago um, he does seem like the sort of 
manager who would get them playing a sort of style, maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing, but it's a style that, that will get them results. You only see his track record at Anfield, Stamford Bridge, Wembley with Tottenham. Um, he, he does get results and he does get them out of players who aren't really technically superstars or big names. You know, they've got, he's, he's, he transformed Andre Gray's four teams um, last season. He's, he's made, I think Michael Keane wouldn't have got his move to Everton if he hadn't had a bit of coaching under Sean Dyche. And I think there's a lot of players in there who have, who've shown that they could probably cut it at a club like Everton. I mean, I'm not advocating that he would bring them all lock stock over. But there's obviously, it shows that he could work with players that are at Everton who aren't really on the on the high levels, picking more like the younger players, maybe some fringe players. Um, and I think it probably would be a good appointment, but whether Everton will deviate from the the current path of Underworth um, remains to be seen. There's obviously a few names in the mix as well as just Dice. Who do you think is the favourite though? At the moment, I think he's probably David Underworth's job to lose really. I mean, he, he said all the right things and he's, he's mending all the, the, the broken bridges at Cumin. Um Obviously, triggered last season. I think the Ross Barkley situation um, was one which could have been handled better under Cumin and uh, Underworth has said he's going to try and sit him down and talk to him and so it's on a man-to-man level because they both came to Everton's academy. They're both, you know, quite emotionally invested in the club. And I think if anyone's going to convince Russ Barkley that his future lies at Everton, it's probably David Underworth because Barkley's going to be out of contract in the summer. So I think that would be a masterstroke, and I think that probably would um, go along some way in convincing Bill Kenwright and Mashiri that that Underworth is the man to take them forward. So, I mean, regardless of whoever the manager is, what will be the sort of the first tasks in the new manager's to-do pile? Is is Barkley the key one getting him to stay? I think, again, Barkley is definitely a big one because I think Barkley has been a player who has been missing a lot this season. I think when when the Rooney, Sigurdsson, Klassen um, alliance hasn't worked, a lot of fans have said, why isn't Barkley playing? Well, the obvious answer is but Ross Barkley's injured at the moment, so... He's not going to be available till January anyway, but I think mentally he's already checked out at Everton. So if someone can bring him back from the brink, convince him before January rolls around, before he's free to negotiate with European clubs, that you are, you are valued here, you are wanted here, we want you to be in the team. Um, I think that might go some way. And, and when Ross Barkley plays with confidence, like he did under Roberto Martinez um, and, and at the, the beginning of Cumin's reign, I think there aren't many better playmakers um, at the sub-top four level clubs because Everton are just in that bracket just below the top four so I think probably getting Barkley fine would be key um, having a definitive style and having definitive personnel I think is also important I think Cumin lost his way quite a bit on that uh, and also not being afraid to make the big decisions I think if you if you have to drop Wayne Rooney if you have to drop Gilby Sigurdsson who's a £45 million player if you have to drop other players who aren't performing then I think that you have to show some some metal and show some nerve and I think Cumin uh, probably was a bit guilty of not wanting to be that person who's trying to be diplomatic trying to make sure he could fit Rooney into the team because he knows how much Everton have invested emotionally as well as financially into, into Rooney's return so I think you have to make the big decisions and, and also a team that plays with style I think Unsworth alluded to it in his press conference it needs to be a team that plays with a bit more pressing a bit more uh, fluency and attacks and contributes all over the park instead of it just being on on your front man or on your, your number 10. Richard, that's lovely. Thank you very much. No problem. Cheers. That was Richard Buxton, friend of the podcast. Dre, you're still amazed by the praise heaped on Ross Barkley? 
Oh, yeah, because uh, I was saying uh, on off that um, I still don't get why there's so many people um, waiting for Ross Barkley's comeback because I don't think he's going to bring what they expect, to be honest. You don't think so? I don't think so. I think he's a superb player. You really? I really do. I've seen him drive Everton forward quite a number of times. And I think if you were to get him, say, under a manager like Maurizio Pochettino, I really think he could fine-tune his game to making him into a, a better player. All, I don't the, think, all the qualities are there, basically. I, I don't think. think he has the technical ability to play under oh, really? a Pochettino, to be honest. Well, it, it does take a lot to play under to play under him. I totally agree. That's why. Yeah. I think he's more of a physical player than uh, anything else. Oh, you're slipping into that old narrative, English <laughs> players... No, not at all. There are some, some there are some uh, English players that I really appreciate, and they're really top class when it comes to technical abilities. But Ross Barkley is not a not one of those. Dan, yeah, I'm unconvinced by him as well. To be honest, oh. I, I kind of agree with what you say. I think a good coach could could get something good out of him, mm-hmm. a Guardiola or a Pochettino. But Guardiola. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, speaking of things not going right for managers right about now, Antonio Conte, Chelsea have what I would describe as a relatively poor start to the season. They've, they're already nine points behind City. The only big team they've beaten is Spurs. They've drawn with Arsenal. They lost to City and struggled against some of the smaller size. As Piliqueta confirmed that the mood at the moment is not the best at Chelsea. What the hell's going on, Dan? Yeah, it's a weird situation that I'm struggling to get my head around, really. I mean, I think it's definitely a situation that's improved a little bit since they got that win over Watford at the weekend. Um, but if you looked at the Premier League last season, if there was one club that I thought really had the shit together, it was Chelsea. You mm-hmm. know, they won the Premier League easily, yeah. nearly won the FA Cup mm-hmm. um, in Conte's first season. And um, over the summer, it just seems to have all gone quite awry for him. I think um, missing out on Lukaku caused a bit of a rift between him and the um, director of football there. Oh, there's beef there. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, um, and, and possibly a few other targets that he missed out over, over the summer. But it seems a little bit to me as well that Conte perhaps feels like. I mean, he's he's been quoted as telling um, Italian media that he, he would quite like to go back there sometime soon. And um, I don't know if it's just because it's his home, or or maybe he sort of feels that. Well, I've come to England. I've done England now. I've, I came here. I won the Premier League. What, what else is there for me to do, really? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit of that to it. But um, but yeah, it's really strange. It's interesting that you mentioned the Watford game because there was a real sense of. Not that it was job-saving for Conte, mm. but there was a real sense, oh, God, that was a really big result for mm. us. Yeah, I mean, he jumped in the crowd at the end, didn't he, celebrating, which is something that, he, you know, he's, he's quite a passionate guy anyway. But that, <laughs> that seemed like a real, like, it was a real weight off his shoulders. I remember when Watford went 2-1 up and Richarlison missed two good chances to really mm. kill the game there. Yeah. And you think, you know, maybe we could be talking about another managerial departure this week yeah. were it not for but that. You, yeah. But you were mentioning that last last season they, they won the Premier League quite easily mm. I don't think it was that easy um, they won a lot of matches 1-0 2-1 1-0 2-1 mm. and uh, it was most of those goals were actually uh, Diego Costa mm. he's not around anymore we know what happened um, so I miss Diego Costa it, when you look at the table it looked like it was a easy job but I don't think it was that easy they were lucky in many many matches mm. well they were lucky in the respect that they didn't have any European competition to play Conte had the squad yeah. Monday to Friday. Awesome. Let's just concentrate on whatever. He doesn't care about the League Cup. That's pretty obvious. Uh, no one cares about concent- that. <laughs> let's just concentrate on the <laughs> FA Cup and the and the Premier League. And they 
one had almost had a bit of a canter. Well, that, that was one of the things that was talked about last week, that uh, that big um, report that came out in the Times where um, sort of there, there was clearly some leaks coming from the players and they were sort of mm. suggesting that they weren't happy with the intensity of the training this season yeah, in as yeah. much as the, they're still training as intensely as they were last season and he's not taking into account the fact that they have bigger commitments with Europe and stuff mm-hmm. but you know he's managed Juventus before he's not yeah. like Champions League some new thing to him so. I think it's, it's a different way of, uh, of, of seeing the, the, the uh, let's say foreseeing the, the, the season when he was at, at Juventus he was just like this very intense all the time uh, kind of erratic in a way they uh, they dealt with uh, all the competitions where Conte was there. Um, but Conte is a very intense um, man in general, mm. not only on a daily basis, but also in the way they, they train. So that's why it's really hard. It's really hard for me to picture um, Antonio Conte managing a club for more than two, three years. I think it's a short-term thing, it's not a, like, a long-term. A bit like Pep Guardiola. <laughs> I can see Pep managing a bit more than that. Yeah, I just feel like, I mean, as good as Pepe is, I feel like I would be absolutely exhausted. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. If just it, when you're dealing with, a, with it. When you're dealing with a control freak, it, yeah. I think it's it's like that. Courtois had some interesting quotes. He said, we're ready to fight for the coach. I remember what happened two years ago two years ago under Jose Mourinho and things uh, started to be said. There were stories about the dressing room without knowing what was happening. We're happy to show that we are ready to fight. We all know what would have happened uh, if we had lost against Watford. Wow. Mm. Yeah, there was another part of those quotes that I saw where he sort of said, you know, this is what happens at big clubs. You know, you, mm. you lose a couple of games and people start talking about mm-hmm. the whole club being a, falling apart. And that that's true as well. That it is, yeah. A lot of it is sort of media driven and probably isn't, oh, it probably I, isn't as bad as being made out. I think that they also need to contain their players a little bit because they're talking yes. way too much. This is not the way you should uh, manage a club. And I mean... It, Courtois is saying that, as Billy Quetta is saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. What's going to be tomorrow? Who's going to be the guy? This is a permanent problem with the Chelsea dressing room. It leaks like a sieve. Yeah. And, it, it was, and it never reflects well on the club. It was like that with Mourinho as well. Yeah. So it's more of a, it's not about the manager, it's about the, the whole structure of the club. Mm-hmm. They need to contain this kind of thing. Of course, the two clubs uh, that we've already talked about, Chelsea and Everton, come up against each other in the EFL Cup this evening. Carabao Cup, EFL Cup. <laughs> Who cares? It's hard to see anything other than Chelsea progressing here, right? Uh, you'd imagine so. I mean, unless uh, unless this sort of new manager bounces in effect with David Unsworth, I mean, yeah. they really get behind him. Um, interesting thing about David Unsworth I saw yesterday. Apparently, you know, his nickname was Rhino when he was a player because he's built like a rhino, basically. Okay. Apparently, he calls himself that in the third person. Not really. Which I find a bit disconcerting, yeah. Somebody said they watched training once and he was playing a, a sort of training match with the under-18s and the ball went up in the air and he went, Rhino's ball! It's like, come on, mate. <laughs> you can't wow. be doing that. So he refers to himself in the third person as Rhino. Yeah. I don't know anybody else who does that. <laughs> um, anything else? Anything from the EFL Cup you wanted to talk about from last night? Um, I have a bit of a sort of philosophical question for you, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, so last night, uh, Man City uh, won on penalties against Wolves. They did. Um, now, a win for City last night would have been a new club record of 12 straight wins. Yes. But a lot of people are saying that because it was won on penalties, that doesn't count. Do you, do you think a, a win on penalties counts as a win, statistically or otherwise? Or do you think it has to be won in 90 minutes for it to be classed as a win? Andre's I think statistically this. it doesn't count as a win. But when it comes to motivation, it's probably even better than, uh, than a normal win. Yeah. 
Oh, there you go. There's the answer. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm inclined to agree, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would go with that. Finally, it is a bit of old news by now, but Craig, the Shake Master General Shakespeare, is gone. Mm. <laughs> Was it a bit harsh? Uh, I, I don't. I didn't really understand why they gave him that job in the first place. To be oh, honest, okay. I think he got it on the strength of that um, second leg against Sevilla in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I watched that that game against West Brom, his last game in charge. And there was what? a point when they showed him. You on actually the, watched that game? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, then professionally. Okay. Um, <laughs> they, they, they show. They sort of cut to him on the touchline, and I just thought that guy. He just doesn't look like a Premier League football manager to me. And and now he isn't one. So, and now he isn't. Yeah. Very good. Okay, should we move on and talk about La Liga? Uh, let's do it. That's why we have you here, yeah. Andre. And we'll start off with a question from Victor Contreras. And I hope I've pronounced that right, Victor. Apologies if not. He says, just thought I'd let you guys know that you make my mornings on Monday. A little bit late this week, but that's okay. Uh, it's always a pleasure to listen to you guys while driving to university. Also, just a quick question. What do you think will happen with Barcelona once they are independent? Will they go to the Premier League or what exactly will happen? This is um, a tough one because uh, no one knows for sure. There is no answer uh, to that question. Um, there is the possibility that the uh, Spanish Federation doesn't accept Catalan clubs anymore. Um, and therefore, they would need to seek another league or create their own league. I don't think that's going to happen. Many um, Catalan clubs would actually play in a Catalan league. Yeah, it can happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen because... Okay. Um, La Liga is uh, it's probably the, the biggest uh, league in the world because you have two uh, giants playing there. Without Barca and without Madrid, La Liga would be still an interesting uh, league to follow, but not La Liga. So they well, know Ma- that. Madrid would win it every year. I don't know. I think the other clubs like Atleti and perhaps Valencia and Sevilla, they probably step up a little bit. Um, but still... It's not enough money. It's all about the money these days. So if something like that, like the separation of Catalonia and the independence, happened um, 20, 30 years ago, I can imagine uh, Barca playing in their own league and all that stuff, becoming um, forever champions of uh, Catalan league. But these days, when it comes to money, there is no way they're going to let, you know, Barca going away and seek the French League or there were there talks about joining the Premier League I don't think that's a bit ludicrous there is one way around it all you could just have a European Super League <laughs> that's coming isn't it one day it's a terrible yeah. idea I, I think it's a terrible idea there will be no relegation but it'll the, be boring but the League of Nations uh, it's also or the Nation League I don't know how you call it <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, it's also League of Nations. it's also, also uh, a terrible idea and we're going to have it so why not Okay. So speaking of Barcelona, I have another question for you from Stephen Denver. Uh, so Lionel Messi is a tune bit months away from being able to negotiate a contract with another European club. Is he destined to leave or will he stay in Barcelona? And, well, this is quite a long question. Will the Petro money of PSG or City finally inspire him to leave or can he be a one-man club for life? It keeps going. And if he is a one-club man, does his... De- does his dependence on the Barcelona board mean he will only stay on his terms? If so, what are these terms? That's quite the question. I'm pretty sure that Dan will love to see uh, Messi uh, living in Barcelona. Essentially, oh, yeah, essentially is, Messi, is Messi staying or going? Um, I am a bit surprised with the, with the lack of a signature 
for the past two, three months. Because um, Bartomeu said that, oh, the deal is done. We, he already plays on a new deal and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you don't sign the papers, the deal is not done. Mm -hmm. It's it's more about, it, it looked like a bit of fireworks mm -hmm. uh, to me and not the real thing. Because what you want to see, what the, the, the Barcelona fans want to see is that Bartomeu and uh, uh, Messi side by side signing those papers, doing the, the whole press conference thing. Uh, Messi doesn't talk, but you probably should say a couple of words about it. Uh, and that that's not happening. It's it's uh, it, this silence is getting a bit um, uncomfortable to to everyone in, in the club. And uh, I think that PSG are just thinking, what can I do? What can I do? <laughs> and also, of course, uh, City. Because uh, Pep said many times that he would love to to manage to manage uh, Messi again, um, but in the end, seeing something like this would be absolutely massive. I don't think it's going to happen. I think uh, this is um, more about finding Messi's way into Barcelona. Messi is is becoming bigger than the club, and that's that's a big problem for the club because uh, he kind of can control. Uh, everything about the club, <laughs> mm -hmm. and after what happened with Neymar, Barca are under a lot of pressure to to sign the biggest deal ever with Messi. And I think it's it's a it's a matter of money. Okay, they're gonna get the, enough money to to convince Messi because mm -hmm. I would love to see Messi playing in a different club in a different league, but. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Well, Messi could move to Manchester City and he'd be a good replacement for Kevin De Bruyne once he moves to PSG. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's staying. Messi's coming. That's, uh, that's what's take, happening, I'm telling you. He's you already can... shopping for two up, two downs in my side. <laughs> <laughs> that's a question for you, though. Would you take Messi... At, how old is Messi now? 30? 30, Would you yeah, take 30. Messi at 30 and have him for a few years or would you keep De Bruyne and have him potentially have him for a lot longer. I think I'd keep De Bruyne, to be honest. <gasps> I, I, I would, you know, don't get me wrong, it would be great if Messi signed for Man City, but I, I, do, I do have sort of a bit of apprehension about the amount of money it would cost to bring him. You know, you're talking upwards of 350 million, aren't you, probably? Which isn't, you know, it's, it's nothing to City's owners, really, but it's still a lot. And what if he what if he got injured? What if he wasn't very good? Like, what if he wasn't as good as everyone thought he would be? It's a lot of pressure making a signing like that, I think, that I, that I think we you could do without. You look stressed about it already. Yeah, I am. I've thought about it. It's keeping me awake. Down down. I wish yeah. we had it's a fine. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I wish we had a webcam here just to, just to get Dan's face captured by this. It is rather incredible. Okay, well, that's enough of Messi in Barcelona, right? Should we move on? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, um... I bring you something that probably you missed out on uh, on the news. Um, you it, know, there's Pepe Mel. Oh, I, I can talk about that if you want, but but no, it's not Pepe Mel. He was sacked yesterday, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, with with all this uh, Donald Trump uh, on the news, like mm -hmm. ninety nine percent of the time, I think it's Donald Trump there. Uh, you probably uh, missed out on something big that happened uh, at Atleti. Um, it's a big revolution. And uh, no one is talking about it, and I think we should we should address it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, the mic is yours. Gil <laughs> uh, Marin, which is the, the the sporting director, he was not happy with uh, um, Emilio Gutierrez's work. Emilio Gutierrez was the the, the head of the academy, mm -hmm. and um, he, he was ultimately the responsible for the the ban that FIFA imposed, and uh, that created a lot of problems between the board and the academy. 
So um, there are a lot of problems with the academy these days. The academy is overpopulated. All some they have, so you can have an idea. They have atleti, like the under 19s. Then uh, they have an under uh, 19s B, and then they have oh, another sure. team. Yeah. So they have at the moment they have uh, the the B team and mm -hmm. three teams for the under 19s. So it's it's a lot of players. Um, in the, where are they getting them all from? Because I know that there was a story in the Guardian today about a 11 year old kid from. Kansas or somewhere like that who's moving to be part of the Roma Academy yeah uh, that's one of the things that FIFA is trying to prevent and that's uh, I, I don't know how it's done how, it, how, how that can happen to be honest I don't know mm -hmm. you're supposed to move to the country before with the parents and mm -hmm. then sign for a club well that's what he's going to do but I think he's got dual nationality I think this is oh it's around, fine so it's with, it. with, with a passport it's, yeah. not, it's not a problem at all um, so they have over 96 players per team in every um, team in, in, the, in the academy. Um, so some of these players are not playing, so therefore they're not developing. And Gilmarin um, uh, said, we, we need to stop this. This is not the way we should work. Also, the the agreement with Wanda, the sponsorship with, uh, with the stadium, mm -hmm. um, it states that they need to bring 60 Chinese kids to the academy. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, really? the, and this happened uh, this past August, I think. So imagine 26 players per team plus these 60 Chinese kids in the yeah. academy. This is way too many kids. It's impossible to, to actually groom players with so many kids. You cannot control everything. No. And, um, and Gilmarin said, okay, we need to reboot the whole thing. And he sacked 23 coaches from the academy. And okay. the idea is to go back to to the roots and and um and bring kids uh, the new the new Coque, Saul, mm -hmm. uh, De Gea, Lucas Hernandez, Thomas, uh, Gavi, Torres. Uh, these kids um they have talent because we know that Atleti's academy is good, is really good. Uh but in since uh Emilio Gutierrez took over and it's going to be, I think, three years, or it was supposed to be three years because it's going to uh, be sacked as well. Um, since it took over, zero kids got to the first team. Okay. Zero, not a single one. So uh, the, the, the goal now is to have uh, 22 kids per team, uh, which means that it's going to be a massive sacking of kids in, in, in January. <laughs> They're going to be, some of them are going to be on loan to another clubs. And some other are going to just be released on free, uh, and then they can seek football uh, anywhere else. Okay, what a shame! What a shame. Um, elsewhere, when I was doing my prep for this, uh, Dre, I noticed there was a misprint in the La Liga table because it says Valencia are second. <laughs> it's a bug. Four points behind Barcelona, but one of head of Real Madrid. Did you? Uh, is it a misprint? No, it's not. I thought that some people said, I think it was Danny that said, hey, guys, there's a bug on the table because Valencia's doing well. What's, what, the is, what the hell is happening? What the hell has happened over there? Um, they should be a mess. That's how I know Valencia. That's, that's the Valencia you know and love. Yeah. It should be Gary Neville managing. Uh, right. We're all getting yeah. all lovely and amazing stories from Gary Neville. And, <laughs> but no, that's not happening anymore. Um, so I have... I have to talk about. I have to do some kind of chron chronology about the, what happened at uh, Valencia in, in, uh, in the past uh, years. So the, the, the team was um, was bought by Peter Lim. Mm -hmm. It's a multi-billionaire from um, Singapore, and he, it was the club was run by Chan Lai Hun, 
um, she was a financial advisor to Peter Lim, mm -hmm. and um, she was um, a CEO, CEO in sectors like food, clothing, and metallurgy. Not quite football. Not quite football. And and she was running the club as a, as a company, and we all know that's not the way you're supposed to run a club. Um, so that's why the, the mess uh, was... Uh, mm -hmm. The one we we the current mess. Let's the say. current mess. Yeah. Things change because um, uh, in March uh, she appointed uh, Alex Sanko. I don't know if you remember him. He played for Athletic Bilbao and also uh, Barca for years and years. Uh, so it was um, it was appointed as uh, sporting director. And three weeks later, she appointed Matteo Alemani, who used to be uh, Mallorca's president. Uh, but he was appointed as a, a general director of football. So we kind of uh, understand that it's it's you have the sporting director, you have the general director, who's going to do what, right? Um, and uh, there was a big, big crisis in the end of, of last season. There was uh, even the, the remote possibility of Valencia getting relegated. And Lai Un resigned. Uh, everyone thought that Alexanko would stay, would be the sporting director, would take mm -hmm. um, charge of uh, football's destiny. But uh, uh, that didn't happen. So uh, it looks like Alemani and Anil Murti, the new CEO of the team, let's call it that way, uh, decided to plan the new season without Alexanko. Okay. Uh, this so, what, is, so what's changed this season? What, what exactly is, what's been the big deal that's, that's, Put them into second in the league. So the the, the one in charge of the of, uh, of planning the whole thing was actually Matteo Alemani, mm -hmm. and there was briefly a moment that Matteo Alemani was uh, negotiating with uh, Marcelino, and at the same time, Alexanco was in contact with Kike uh, Setien to be the new manager. So imagine the mess. So Alexanco was sacked, <laughs> and Alemani took over the the football of, of Valencia. Um, in the middle of this storm, Marcelino managed to be the right man for the job. So uh, he, he sailed his boat to a good port because he was working close with um, with Alemani mm -hmm. and they um, understood what were the, the real necessities of the club and they were quite clever because Valencia right now they are they don't don't have a lot of money so they need to be clever when they do signings, and um, they they did a great job on the on the market, and uh, also Marcelino is is a is really really uh, methodical and a very intelligent coach, is probably one of the best in La Liga in the way he reads the game like real time. Um, also, he brought the, the tranquility and um, the peace of mind that most players needed to mm -hmm. actually do something good. I think we can we can spot that on a, a player like uh, Parejo, for instance. Last season, it was dreadful. It was really bad. And a lot of people said that he, he, we should sell this guy. The fans were absolutely crazy about Parejo. And now he's not only the captain, but he's probably one of the better players Every, in every single match. Wow. Um, also, they went a bit back to the Valencia, um, the, the, the past, of the, 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 the traditional Valencia used to know, uh, pretty focused on the, the Cantera. And um, he brought uh, Carlos Soler, uh, Santimina, Nacho Vidal, Nacho Gil, 
they're all uh, part of the squad now. They were used to play for the B team and they, they were quite good. And um, in, in this beginning of the season, we have to talk about uh, Gonçalo Guedes. He's doing pretty well. He's on loan from, from uh, PSG. Uh, Condogbia, another guy on loan from, from um, Inter. Uh, Murillo, which is a very good centre-back. Uh, things didn't work out at Inter. He's doing mm -hmm. quite well at uh, Valencia as well. So, it's... What about Zaza? What, yeah. He's been banging them in, hasn't he? Simone and Zaza is scoring. Uh, I think for the first time, uh, he, I think it's, he's, uh, he's scored six games, six uh, goals already, and um, in five consecutive matches, something like that. So uh, it's it's more about finding the right man for the job because I, I I cannot see uh, Valencia doing so well without Marcelino taking taking over the, the team. Okay, in a word, because we're going to wrap up. Yeah, um, can it last? I think so. I honestly That's think three so. words, but we'll let you we'll let you away <laughs> with it. Okay, I didn't get my I didn't get the words from my friends into the podcast. Bloody hell. A forfeit awaits. Unless I just send them now. Can I just say them now? No, I can't. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Andre, Dan, Richard, and producer Ben, who's standing in for Demo while he does one back to Australia for a couple of weeks. We'll be back next week with Dan hosting. He's nodding his head. He looks very relaxed about it all. Uh, as I'll be off on holiday. Thanks for listening.